Okay, girls, uh, let me just remind us we're studying refuge. The theme is refuge. And our anchor verse is Psalm 73, verse 28. And so I want to read it to us again as we recap. The psalmist says, but it is good for me to be near God. And he says, I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. I have made the Lord my refuge. The one thing that we've learned, and I hope that you've grasped, is that God himself is our refuge. We talk throughout the series that oftentimes I think we get tripped up because we think a refuge is provided by a safe physical place or a, a harmonious set of relationships or a beautiful situation or circumstances in my life, that anything from the outside is what is going to provide refuge. And if it's safe and smooth sailing on the outside of my life, then the inside will match up to that. Then I can rest. Then I can sleep well. Then I can be at ease. If my relationships are all harmonious, if my um, bank account is full, if my, uh, you know, just if every situation in my life is okay and at ease, then I'm okay. And the Lord is saying, baby, I have come to flip that on its head. In this world, you will have trials. And you just don't know, I was saying this yesterday at Bible study, I could leave here and on my way home get the phone call that changes the trajectory of my life. Right? A friend of mine just discovered that her mother is struggling with a terminal brain tumor. She found out yesterday. Right? And so you just don't know. And so things, if anything, what we can count on in this world is that it's unpredictable. It's unpredictable. But I can have peace and I can experience refuge no matter what's happening on the outside of my life. No matter what my marriage looks like, no matter how um, I'm feeling that day, no matter what my bank account looks like, no matter how well my job is going, whether I have a job or not, whatever. God is my refuge. And the definition that we have been using for refuge is a protective covering, a protective covering or a safe haven. And so God is saying, I am your protection. I am your safe haven. That's me. That's my presence. My presence in your life is what you need, is what you need. And so we saw it through the weeks as we were looking at the surprising ways we experience or we see refuge experienced in Scripture. We saw the way God was present with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. He was present with them in the furnace. He didn't uh, allow them to escape the furnace, but he led them all the way there and he was in the fire with them. We also saw how the Lord has given us a sound mind. We've been given the mind of Christ when we accept Jesus as Savior. The Spirit of the living God takes up residency in us. So we have the mind of Christ, a sound mind, regardless of how we may be feeling. And so a refuge for me is that I can access the truth is that I know what's true and I can weigh the truth against my crazy trained thoughts at times. We talked about the presence of God being a refuge in our obedience to Him. When we step out in obedience, the presence, the covering of God follows is, is all around me because I'm inside of His will. And today, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture and we're going to talk and really focus on the character of God. The character of God as our refuge. And in his character, we get to discover today is just how deeply loved and intimately acquainted he is with us. And so I want to look today at a passage, it's Psalm 139. 
And as we jump into it, what I want to remind all of us is that the center, the, the um, main character in this psalm is not David, the psalmist, the writer, but it's God himself. But as you initially read Psalm 139, and a lot of the ways it's taught is David is center stage and it's all about him, but it's not. It's about God, and David is simply professing worship to God based on how well he's known by God. And so we'll look at that. I want to ask you a question, though, before we jump in just to get our juices flowing. I asked this yesterday. There's two ways you can phrase this question. Is one is who knows you the best in, on this planet? Who knows you the best? Now, if, if you ask me that question, my initial reaction or my statement would be, well, probably my mom. My mom. But if you ask it to me this way, I may think of it in a different context or I may have a different name. If you think, who do you feel most known by? Do you see the difference? The difference? Now, I feel very known by my mom, but who do I feel most known by? But it's, it's creepy after all these years. I'm in my 40s. My mom is 81. And I'm telling you, she can look at me she, from a distance and tell if I'm okay or not. And she'll say things, and I'm like, dang, you're right. You really do know me. And um, I adore my mom. But my husband, no, really, I feel so known by him. I have a best friend whom I feel so known by. I want you to think about that, and I want you to look at your neighbor and just talk about that. Who do you feel most known by in your life? Talk about that for 30 seconds, and then we're going to jump in. All right. I can't whistle. Zip it up. It's always a little nerve-wracking when I give that control over because I'm not sure if I'm going to get it back. All right, who do we say? Who do we say? Who do you feel most, most known by? Your husband? Yeah. Sylvia, who'd you say? You said Sue, right? Because Sue said you. No. I'm just teasing. Yeah, next. Moving on. Fran, who'd you say? Yeah, it does, for sure. Yeah, and your niece? I would say probably my best friend or my twin sister or my husband, for sure, who I feel most known by. And it can vary on the day. And my emotional well-being. <laughs> and don't you have certain friends that you call and you know how they're going to respond, so that's why you call them, you know? It's powerful, powerful to feel known. I was doing some research as I was preparing for this week and I was preparing for this passage and to teach it. And in my research, I was researching the top needs of women, of women, I know, I know. The top three needs of women, according to some study, and I don't remember the source, it doesn't matter, top three needs of women, one is to feel loved, right? Two is to feel safe, and three is to feel seen, to feel seen or to feel known. Would y'all agree with that? I would agree with that for sure. First top need would be to feel loved. Second would be to feel safe. And third is to feel seen. To me, those can all be interchanged. Because if I feel really seen, if you really see me, and you don't reject me, you accept me, then I feel so loved. And because of that, I feel so safe. I feel safe. I feel safe. And so as I was praying at the end of, as we were heading into this week, and I was like, Lord, what do we need to know about you as our refuge? 
I just sense the Lord saying, you need to know me. You need to know me, and you need to understand how well I know you. How well I know you. And Psalm 139 speaks to that more than any other passage in Scripture almost. And so I want us to jump into it today. And as we walk through Psalm 139 together, I want you to come at it with the lens of God. Who is God's character? Who is this God that I follow? Because that's what David is saying. This is not a self-absorbed psalm, even though David continues to say, oh my goodness, I can't get over how well you know me. He's giving that worship back to the Lord and he's recognizing, I follow a God that is intimately acquainted with all of my ways. And when I sit in that, the reason it gives me a deeper breath is because what makes me frantic or frenzied is when I feel alone and when I feel unsafe and when I don't feel like anybody sees me and when I feel unloved or rejected, I feel out of control. And I feel fearful. And the Lord is saying, I always love you. I'm always intimately acquainted with all of your ways. I'm always with you. And you can rest because I, the Lord your God, who have created you, will never leave you or forsake you. So as we walk through it, let's savor it together. We're going to kind of walk through this passage slowly. Verse 1 of Psalm 139. And we believe that David is the, psalm, is the writer of this psalm. He says this, O Lord, you have searched me. And you have known me. You have searched me. And you have known me. He says, you know when I sit up. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You know when I sit and when I rise. And you know my thoughts from afar. I've said this a few times in this study. Is... Um, Oftentimes we would panic if just a ticker tape of our thoughts flashed before all of us. Right? Yeah, yeah, every man, there's a lot of agreement today. What are you thinking about? But the Lord can discern our thoughts from afar. He knows all of our thoughts. He knows every ounce of them. Verse 3, it says, you search out my path. And my lying down, you are acquainted with all of my ways. Acquainted with all of my ways. Now, I'm known by a lot of people. I feel seen and known by a lot of people. But there's nobody on the planet that, can, that discerns all of my thoughts. There's no one on the planet that is acquainted with all of my ways. But the God of the universe is. I think it's... Um, a tactic of the enemy sometimes to keep us in a belief system that God is outside, that God is even far away, but if he's close, he's still outside of me. And so he sees me, but I kind of have to look and go, go wait, God, I need you now. And God is saying, no, I reside within you. I know everything about you. I'm always with you. I've searched out your path, and I know that you're, when you're lying down, and I know I'm acquainted with all of your ways. Verse 4 says, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You know it all together. This passage, this verse in verse 5, is one that I particularly love. He says, You hem me in behind and before. You hem me in. That word hem, when it's translated, it really means that the picture of being squeezed. 
It's a picture of being held almost to the point of like a, um, like a gurney on me or something. What are those? Things? A corset. Just I'm held tightly. And when it's translated, it's a tight grasp. It's a hold. I'm hemmed in behind and before. A couple weeks ago, we talked about what, what it feels like or what it might feel like for someone who's new to walk into a place like this, that it can be daunting. And in Friendswood, one time a woman came for the first time and she walked in and she went, came to the front of the room and she stopped, not the very front, but right as she crossed the threshold of the door. And I happened to be standing there and she said, oh my gosh, I've never been here before. This is so daunting. There's a lot of people here. And she said, I don't know anybody. And she was just so honest, but she was expressing verbally what I think a lot of us feel internally. And I know for me, this passage, this verse, verse 5, has particularly been powerful for me when I, enter to, when I enter situations like that. When I know that I'm going somewhere and I may not have the right answers, I may be called upon, or I just may feel out of my league or just feel alone, I like to remind myself what is true is that while I feel alone, that's not the truth. What's true is I'm hemmed in behind and before. I'm hemmed in and I picture just the Lord creating a covering over me, almost like a, just some sort of clear covering where I can walk in and nobody sees it, but I know it's around me. He's hemmed me in behind him before and I'm protected by him. There's no situation that you or I will ever face that he's not already there. He's already shown up and he's waiting for me and he's walking in there with me. He searches out my path. He's hemmed me in behind and before. Is there any situation in your life right now that feels daunting? That you think, I just don't want to face that. If that's true, I want you to just envision yourself being hemmed in behind and before. The Lord's got you. He's got you. And then he says, and you lay your hand upon me. Another translation says, and you lay your hand of blessing upon me. You lay your hand of blessing upon me. There's a commentator that says this. He says, that sounds unnerving, but you can rest assured about this, that God knows me, and yet he still loves me. God knows every ounce of your being. The God of the universe is intimately acquainted with all of your ways, and he delights in you. He still loves you. And it's not like... Um, you know, there's times probably when you were growing up and your parents may have said, well, of course I love you, but perhaps they weren't communicating a very loving tone or they were mad at you or disappointed, maybe rightly so, but it seemed contradictory in itself. You're like, well, you're telling me that you're love, you love me, but that doesn't feel like love. Maybe that came from a, a friend or a partner or something. But when the Lord says... I know every ounce of you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I love you. I love you. There's very few ways we can grab at that in human terms and get that. You know what I'm saying? Because even my husband who loves me unconditionally can fail me. Even my best friend doesn't pick up the phone all the time. Right? And so for you and for me, I think if we really want to know God, we've got to marinate in his word. We've got to sit there and we've not just got to skim over that and assume we understand what that means because intellectually I understand what this means. But, but God is saying, slow down. Slow down and sit in that for just a minute. 
that the God that created the heavens and the earth, the, the macro God that we worship is a micro God that loves me intimately, that knows every ounce of every fiber of my being, every hair on my head is counted, Scripture says. That God knows me that well and loves me, loves me. I've got to sit in that and let that take hold of my heart. And this commentator says it sounds unnerving at first because intimacy is into me see. It is unnerving. It is unnerving. But he says when David says that God has laid his hand upon him, he's referring to an Old Testament practice of bestowing a blessing on someone. He says a wise father would place his hands on his children and he would speak words into their lives about who they are and will be and what their place in the family meant and what their future will be. And this was what was one of the most important acts that happened in Hebrew families. And in the same way, our Heavenly Father who knows you bestows his hand of blessing on you. Born out of love that marks your place in his family and what your future is all about. And he says this, I love this. He says, in his family, God's family, nobodies are non-existent. Nobodies are non-existent. So what God is wanting you and me to know today about himself is that he sees you and he loves you and he's placed his hand of blessing upon you. He has not forgotten you. He is not distant from you. He's not mad at you. He's not indifferent towards you. He's not dealing with someone else's life and he'll get back to you in a minute. He's laid his hand of blessing upon you. And he loves you. He loves you as much as the woman next to you that you think really deserves that love. Your love is not warranted based on your performance or your behavior or what you believe or do not believe about certain moral codes of ethics. His hand is placed upon you because you're his. Because I'm his. Because he created me. Because he loves me. Because I'm his daughter. I don't love Beth because she does the, she remembered her homework today. I don't love Beth because she was able to find her fleece at school. Because she didn't. She lost it after one day of wearing it. <laughs> one day. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. That does not change the way I feel about Beth one iota. One iota. I would lay down in front of a train for that kid right now. And I love her with a fragile, frail human love. I can't even begin to taste what the Father's love is for Beth. And I can't even begin to taste it for me. But I'm going to try. And I'm going to marinate in his word. And you are too. So he's laid his hand of blessing upon you. One of the things that I need to do in my life is oftentimes I get the cart before the horse or the horse before the cart and I think, okay, his blessing upon me is proven to be true based on my circumstances, based on what is happening in my life at the moment. And what I want to be going well, if that's going well, then he's blessing me. And God's saying, you've got it all wrong, just like I had refuge all wrong. My hand of blessing is upon you, period, the end. Now, you are free to view all of your circumstances through that lens. And so if I'm in a particularly dark season, his hand of blessing is on me. 
And scripture says, I will work all things together for good. Nothing is wasted and nothing is in vain. I have never left you. I will never forsake you. I am always with you. I love you. My hand of blessing is upon you. Know me and you'll understand what blessing means. Then the psalmist David says this in verse 6, after marinating and listening to that, you search out my path. You know when I sit, you know when I rise, you know when I lie down, you're acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Verse 6, he says, oh, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high, I can't even attain it. Our little minds can't even figure it out, but if we sit in it, it will lead us to a place of worship. God, you are so much bigger than me. You're so much bigger than me. And then he begins to share in verse 7. He says, where shall I go from your presence? Where another, it says, or where shall I flee from your presence? Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? He's recognizing what is true. He's starting to understand, I can't ever escape you. I can't ever escape you. And what he's really saying is, you're never going to leave me. You're always going to be with me. And what he's also saying is, I'm never alone. Wait a second. You're that intimately acquainted with all of my ways. In verse 8 he says, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. But if I make my bed in Sheol, which is another word for dark, shadowy hell, you also are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell, or if I dwell at the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. I want to talk about these verses for just a minute. We make the mistake sometimes of thinking that when we're on a mountaintop or we're at a great retreat or when we come to Bible study or when we feel close to God, we don't ever want to leave that place, understandably so. But that's where God really is. I just remember those days when he felt so close. And God is saying, I have not moved one inch from you. And he's saying, if you go to, David is understanding this, it's starting to register with him. And he's saying, if I go to the highest place, the highest heavens, you're there. But I also, if I go to the darkest valley, you're still there. You're still there. And your right hand will lead me. Your right hand will lead me. How many of us walk in here today, walked in here today, and we feel alone and we don't know what to do next and we are begging for discernment, hoping that we get it? God is promising you today you will have everything that you need. He is with you. He is leading you. He will guide you. The question is not if that is true. The question is do I believe that to be true? Do I believe that? As I was reading through this passage, it reminded me of a situation in my own life. Several years ago, Jason and I left a church that we had served at in, in Sugarland, and we were leaving that church, and we were interviewing at different churches. And at the time, we were interviewing at a church in Northwest Houston, and my Young Life hero, area director, had become the senior pastor of that church, and my college roommate was involved in that church and so I thought that's where we're going that is where we are going but we were also interviewing at a church in Friendswood I'd never even heard of Friendswood I'd heard of Clear Lake and NASA and all you know Bay Area but I didn't even know where that was I didn't know anybody there so I had very little interest in going there I would have never chosen to go there 
But the day came where we were interviewing and we met uh, the pastor and his wife at a country club nearby. And as we were driving down there, I said, Lord, this feels like the uttermost parts of the sea. This feels like the ends of the earth to me. Surely your hand is not leading me here. And as we were there and as we were, we were interviewing, it's, it's, uh, it, sound, it's probably, it will sound silly to you, but to me it was a really intimate expression that the Lord gave me. Throughout my life, I've always loved um, nature, and well, not nature like camping nature, good grief. <laughs> not crazy. But I've always loved deer, deer in particular. And the Lord has always just used deer at different time and times in my life and birds. And, but deer, when I was growing up, Catherine and I were involved in Indian princesses with the YMCA. And I was Little Fawn and she was Running Fawn. Those were our names. My dad was Big Buffalo Chip. True story. So deer has always been sweet. And I didn't say, Lord, show me a deer. But I just said, Lord, I need to see you. I need to know that this is you. That if you're leading us here, Lord, you've got to break through this cloud of confusion and speak clearly. And so we're sitting here having lunch one afternoon. And I happen to be facing the window and the golf course is right there. And as we're talking and getting to know this couple, I look out and two deer come and stand right there on the golf course. And just turn over and I felt like they were looking right at me. And I just start crying. I just went to this, this um, worshipful, overwhelmed that there's a God that cares enough about me, little old me. They weren't even interviewing me. They're interviewing my husband. But that he would even care about me to bring these deer. And I knew it was God. And I was like, I dare anybody to tell me that a God doesn't exist because they're, they're right there. He just sent two deer. And... So I just start, I was just snotty, and I thought, well, they, I don't, surely hire Jason now. He's got a crazy wife. But <laughs> they did, and we went there, and we served at this church for 10 years, and, and God blessed us beyond measure, and we still live in Friendswood. But we were leaving that church, and it was a difficult departure, and, and I was really sad in this season of my life. And shortly after we left, some friends of mine scooped me up and took me to Colorado, to get away and just to kind of breathe a little bit more deeply. And I was staying in a friend's house and I was staying in the basement in this room. And I woke up in the morning and I just woke up uber sad. I was just grieved, grieved, and I was crying. And I just remember waking up going, ah, oh, this is hard. I don't want this to be my life right now. This is not a season. This feels not like the highest heights. This feels like the depths. And I don't want to be here. And I remember just, just crying, and I thought, oh, I'll just stay right here. Lord, I just need to know that you see me. I need to know that you see me. And I look out, and you guessed it. <laughs> On this wall were two deer that just trotted right up and stood there and looked at me and then <laughs> went on their way. And I'm telling you what, I thought what the Lord spoke so clearly to me in that situation is, your circumstances, baby, are not what bring you peace. Your seasons of life, you're going to have some really highs and you're going to have some lows. And this is a low, but my presence is always with you. I bring you peace. I am your peace. I am your refuge. Nobody, not even your sweet husband, is your refuge. Nobody is your refuge. 
Now, I may use people to provide refuge in different seasons, but at the end of the day, it is me, baby. I'm your refuge, and you never have to be afraid that I won't be with you. You never have to be afraid, and that's what David is realizing. He's like, I cannot escape you. I cannot run you. I can't disappoint you enough to, to kick you to the curb. I cannot flee from your presence. No matter where I find myself, you are with me. Sit in that for just a minute today. And he's not with you because he's like, well, I guess I'm with her. <laughs> he delights to be with you. You're his. He loves you. He loves you in the good and in the bad and in the ugly. In verse 11, it says, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light be night around me. In verse 12, David, right as he says it, what I love is it's almost like the Lord is speaking to him as he's worshiping the Lord, as he's saying this. It's like a journal entry. And he's saying, Surely the darkness is going to cover me, Lord, and the light is going to be a night around me. But then he realizes, but even darkness is not darkness to you. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. You know what I'm realizing in my life is the darker the season, the lighter he is, the brighter he's able to shine. Because you know in those dark, dark seasons, everything gets really myopic and everything just kind of moves out of the, the way and you're sitting there in that darkness and it's really, really dark and the only thing that breaks through is him. The things that could have comforted you in the past, they don't work anymore. And as you sit there, you think, I, this is going to take me under, and then boom. Nope, it's not. It's not. Nothing has that much power. Nothing does. The God of the universe sees me, and darkness is but light to him. So if you find yourself today in a dark place, in a dark place, my prayer for you is not, God, are you in there? Would you be there with her? My prayer for you is, Lord, let her see you there. Would you open the eyes of her mind and her heart to allow her to see where your hand is, where your heart is, where you're at work? Let her experience in your presence because your presence is with her. Even the darkness is as light to you. And then David begins to go on and it's like he's, this discovery continues and he says in verse 13, he says, For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And he says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. I wonder today if there are any of us in the room that can say, my soul knows it. Wonderful are your works. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I wonder if any of us in the room today are motivated to praise the Lord because of the way he's made me, the way he's made you. You know, it's easy, isn't it, to praise the Lord for the way he's made my kids or the way he's wired some of my dear friends or, or whatever, but it's more difficult for me to sit and praise the Lord because of the way he's made me. But do you know that that brings him such praise? There's no arrogancy in that because I'm not self-absorbed to go, well, look at me. I'm just saying, Lord, you have knit me together in my mother's womb. You wired me with a mouth that speaks. You wired me with a mouth that talks because you knew what I was going to be doing one day. 
You wired me with a personality that moves into situations because you knew I would be in ministry. Or maybe you could look at your life and go, you wired me with a personality that loves to bake and that loves to have people in my home because you were going to do ministry that way. You wired me as one who loves to be learned and to read and as a voracious reader because you knew the way I would teach one day. Do inventory. How has God wired you? That is not by mistake. That is not by mistake. He doesn't look at you and go, oh, oh, oh she's a little too much here. And boy, <laughs> whoo, she should simmer down over here. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knit you together. Do you know what that says when we read this in Scripture? That the Lord knit you together? How it, I mean, I hate knitting. That is hard. But David is saying that because he's recognizing how closely and intimately involved the Lord is with his life. You knit me together. You saw my, un, my unformed parts. You are not by mistake. The way your mind thinks, it's beautiful to him. The way your personality is wired, it's beautiful to him. Beautiful to him. He didn't wire you like Sandy because he wired Sandy like Sandy. He wired you to be like you. It's not a competition. It's not a comparison. Verse 15, he says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. The Lord knew you before your parents even had a thought of you. The Lord knew you. Knit you together. Here's what I want. I know that if you, if you do have children in the room today, it is probably an easy stretch for you to believe that about them. But I only want you to consider this about yourself today. And if you're having a hard time going, Lord, how am I fearfully and wonderfully made? Oh my goodness, I am my worst critic. Would you just be uh, willing and obedient to ask the Lord, Lord, just start to describe for me how you've made me, the way you've wired me. And it's not a pep talk. It's an act of worship. It's an act of worship. Do you know that you're not wired just like your mom? You're not wired just like your dad. You're not just like your sister. You're not just like your best friend. You're just like you, and he wired you together just like that. And you alone, you alone bring him glory. You alone bring him glory, just who you are, not what you do, but just who you are. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. I pray that my soul knows it very well. Fearfully and wonderfully made. And God has plans for that fearful and wonderfully made human that you are. Verse 16, he says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, and as, when as yet there was none of them. Another translation says, uh, You knit me together in my mother's womb, and all the days were ordained for me before one of them came to be. 
All the days were ordained for me before one of them came to be. Does that mean God made you a robot? No, it doesn't. Does it mean God is sovereign? Yes, it does. Does it mean he has wonderful plans for you? Yes, it does. And here's the beautiful thing about God's plans for you is they match up with your passions. They're not easy all the time, but he's wired you with things that make you come alive for a reason. This is the thing. Here's what I hope. I hope my kids have very successful careers that make lots of money and that they are very comfortable financially. That would be great. But God forbid they would do that at the expense of living out their God-ordained, passionate lives that he has ordained before one of them has come to be. I don't want Ben and Beth to be a doctor because that's going to make a solid income. I want Ben or Beth to be a doctor because they come alive. Oh my goodness, they come alive. One of my dear friends went to med school after she'd already had a child. She was a single mom. How old was she, Karen? It's your daughter. What was she, 35? Yeah, 33? And she's working for her dad's company, and she's smart as a whip. She could do anything she wants. She's doing financial planning. And her sister said, what makes you come alive if you could do anything? And she said, I'd go to med school and be a doctor. And she said, then do it. And by golly, she did it. And she's an ER doctor in San Antonio. And it's so beautiful to hear her say, I feel most alive when I'm in the ER. I feel like it's, it's, I've stepped into who I was created to be. It's beautiful, beautiful. I remember for me, even when I was in high school, had this teaching thing bubble up in me, but I thought, I don't even know what that would be. Didn't get a degree in teaching, good grief, no. Didn't have any idea, but I remember as in God's timing, as it began to bubble up, it was almost like air. And I thought, if I don't, I don't know what I'll do with my life. And I remember seeing the first female Bible teacher in my life, Ann Lifsay. And when I saw her teach, I was like, that's it. That's it. And I feel so privileged that God would wire me to do what makes me come alive. Do you love to garden? Do you just experience God when you're gardening? He's wired you that way. Do you love to teach preschoolers? There's something about their innocent, precious little minds that just make you come alive. It's fun. I'm on the school board in Friendswood and our superintendent is a, he's a great, great leader. He's a wonderful guy. But it's so fun because I'll see him in school board meetings and he's very efficient the way he leads it. But sometimes I'll go on the campus with him and you put him in a third grade classroom or first, and he, it's like, there he is. He just comes alive. And he says, I'm most alive when I'm in the classroom and I'm seeing those kids and the light bulbs are going off. He's knit you together in your mother's womb, and all the days are ordained for you before one of them have come to be. He's not interested in a moral code of ethics for you. He's interested in a relationship where you walk hand in hand with him throughout your life, and you hear his voice, and you listen to him, and you trust him, and you feel secure, and you feel loved, and you feel safe. And because of that, you step out, and you take steps of faith, and you do things you wouldn't have done otherwise. And as you do them, you come alive, and you realize, I'm doing what I was made to do. That book, Forgive, <laughs> wouldn't have happened without a team of people, one of which is Ann Finstoon, who edited the book. And I've never seen someone come alive <laughs> editing a book. 
that's a root canal for me. <laughs> Anne Finstoon is editing this book and she's coming alive. He's knit you together in your mother's womb and all the days are ordained for you before one of them have come to be. Don't ask the Lord, Lord, what have you wired me to do? Ask the Lord, Lord, who are you? Just get to know him. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he gives you the desires that he knows are going to light you up. And they're not, they're not thoughts that you would have had. And they start to bubble up. Verse 17 David begins to close and he says, oh my goodness, he's overwhelmed at this point. He says, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God, how vast the sum of them. If I would count them, they're more than the sand. And then he just says, I'm done. I'm going to go to bed. And then he says, but when I wake, I'm still with you. I'm still with you. Where do you find yourself today? What season are you in? Are you in the highest heights? Are you kind of on a plane just doing your life? Or do you find yourself in a dark valley? Today, God is not closer to me than he is to you. He is intimately acquainted with all of your ways. He loves you. His presence has never left you. And it will never leave you. And so as we close this series, I'm just reminded of, to myself and I'm reminding you today that we serve a God that is vast and powerful. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. And yet he is intimately acquainted with all of your ways. Your refuge is himself. And you've got him, girls. He's with you. He is with you. He has made that possible through the blood of Jesus. He is with you. And so when you leave here today and Bible study ends until we meet again, there is no reason why you would need to be dry spiritually and lose touch, the God of the universe, his spirit lives within you. And so over the course of these next weeks as we close and go our separate ways and experience the holidays and we come back together in January, my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that this psalm would be the, the worship of my own heart. That as I continue to, to draw close to the Lord and get to know him more and understand his vastness and understand his intimacy that I would be overwhelmed with worship because he knows me so well. I never have to be afraid. He's with me. He sees me. He's with you and he sees you and he is our refuge. Let's believe that today. Let me pray for us. Father, I love you and I thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, I thank you that you are um, you're so near You hem me in behind and before. So when we get in our cars and we leave, you sit there with us. You're, you're in us, Lord. You're around us. You're over us. You're under us. You hem me in behind and before. Such knowledge is too wonderful. So I just ask today by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you allow these truths to sink deeper, farther than our mind, our intellectual selves, deep down, rooted into our guts and our souls, that this truth would actually transform us would you do that? And I pray in return, Lord, that you would be glorified through our eyes, through our lives, that other women and men would see us and go, what is it that you have that I don't have? We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, ladies. We will see you next, not next week, we'll see you next semester.